Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Really looking forward to chatting with my guest today. It's crime novelist Kelly J. Ford, and we haven't met before, but she's got a new book out called The Hunt. It's getting great reviews, and I'm really excited to chat a little bit about her writing, her storytelling, and her her new book. Ford has earned wide critical acclaim for her gritty novels ever since the release of her award-winning debut, Cotton Mouse, a Los Angeles Review Best Book of the Year followed by Real Bad Things, which critic John Land called an outstanding literary crime thriller in all respects. Ford, who is Southern by several generations and grew up in the foothills of the Ozarks, says that Arkansas is in my roots and made me who I am. As I mentioned, she has a new book called The Hunt. Kelly, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I've only been to the Ozarks once. And it was back when I was in college, I worked as a wilderness guide for a program where we took teenagers who'd been in trouble with the law, on, um, like like a four-week, actually 28-day wilderness trip. And mm-hmm. so um, one of those we took was canoeing and hiking in the Ozarks. And uh, oh. so, yeah, so that was pretty interesting. I mean, it's a long time ago now, but yeah. it's so interesting. And uh, what I remember most about that trip was it's beautiful. First of all, I really mm-hmm. love it. And, uh, and secondly, we had this one student who always wanted to run away. Uh, for, <laughs> so like literally Obvious reasons. <laughs> he would just leave, like he would just walk off, like he would get angry at someone and be like, I'm leaving. And so we weren't like there to um, hold them down or anything like that. Right. So, so if they left, basically, we just followed after them. And if they tried to do anything illegal, we would call the police, obviously. But otherwise, we'd just walk with them until they got tired of walking by themselves <laughs> and be like, you want to come back because there's food and, you know, a tent and stuff like that. So but I remember. So when you when you ask me what I'm working on next, I'm going to uh, say this. Because oh what goodness. a setup for a crime novel, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, it yeah, it was. um it was so it was super interesting, but I just remember trundling along on a road in the Ozarks or on a trail, following after this one student, being like, just waiting for them to get tired and give up and come back. <laughs> but uh, it was so it was beautiful and and so interesting. Yeah. And um, but I loved being there, and and I always thought it'd be fun to go back when I wasn't in charge of twelve right. teenagers who needed <laughs> good supervision like that and so so. Um, but from what I understand, you grew up in that area. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what? Well, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say, you know, what was it, you know, um, about uh, I didn't know if there was like a storytelling, storytelling culture, like where you grew mm-hmm. up, where people encouraged you to read or tell stories or anything mm-hmm. like that. I know. In some areas of the South, like where I live in Tennessee, it is a big part of culture is passing on stories, either family stories or folklore kind of to the next generation. And so there's a a vibrant sorry, storytelling culture 
around here in, mm-hmm. in Eastern Tennessee. And I just didn't know if there was something like that where you grew up in the Ozarks. Yeah. And, and full disclosure, it's like, I, I grew up on both sides of the river. which okay. sounds kind of funny. Right. So it's like, um, many years I, I grew up in Fort Smith, which is more a river Valley town, but my parents, I say my parents, like with my mom, but then with my dad and my stepmom, they lived up on the hill. So it was like the foothills of the Ozark. So it was kind of interesting to get both um, perspectives because I went back and forth a lot, but ended up uh, graduating foothills of the Ozark, you know, right, right there. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the storytelling culture in general in the South and, you you know, from East Tennessee, it's so, it's, it's a thing that, you know, you talk to Southern folks. Um, I have a very close friend, East Tennessee, and it's very much the same thing where my family would always get together and tell stories in my grandma Ford's driveway. Like, oh, wow. because it, because it was a dirt driveway, right? It was back in the woods, um, where we lived and she was just like over the tree line <laughs> from our house. Yeah. So we would all pack up there, you know, of course. And, um, the whole family would get together and they'd build a fire oh, wow. in a dirt driveway, like, and a bunch of py- pyromaniacs in my family. And, um, they would always start off as, you know, jokes. And I hated that part. I was like, let's go to the ghost story. So, oh, it was yeah, primary, you know, it was a lot of stories, you know, about my, my elder relatives exploits of their youth, <laughs> you know, and we couldn't compare to that. You know, we were young. Um, we couldn't tell those stories, but we weren't good at it anyway. Mm. And so it was primarily my, my aunts and my uncles and really my dad. And um, then they would get to ghost stories. And those yeah. were always my favorite. I don't write ghost stories, but I always have that kind of, I think ghost stories have that element of suspense mm. to them where you're just kind of sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for that moment. And so that, that really infected my, my story mm. life where, um, you know, the way that my dad would tell the story or my uncle Larry, just they would have you waiting. Like they just knew all the beats. You oh, know? sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. They fun. could hold an audience. <laughs> and so, you know, I've, I've said before, it's just like I was never a storyteller in the oral tradition uh-huh. that my family is. But um, now I feel like I can tell it, you know, in a different way. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. By writing. And so, you know, when when I was a kid, and so many um, children, it seems like we really kind of are drawn to scary stories. Like whenever mm-hmm. I maybe perform at a, a family event or a, an elementary school, or how many of you kids like scary stories or whatever? And like <laughs> literally, every hand go, "Oh, we want to hear scary stories." Now they don't want it so scary that they're maybe left in the dark woods kind of thing. Like they want them yeah. out at the end. Like either it's silly at the end or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But um, I wonder what that is. You know, as kids, we like those stories and we grow up and we watch horror stories and we read crime novels. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't I wonder what it is about fear, um, experiencing mm-hmm. fear, which you probably I mean, you've maybe thought about this, Kelly, but um, but like in real life, we avoid fearful situations oh, absolutely but we actually seek them out in the stories that we listen to and tell and share and read and write and stuff like that. why is that like what is that about what we avoid in know. life we get you know sucked into <laughs> the fictional realm 
I'm sure people smarter than me have have discovered the, the answer <laughs> to this for me. I don't know in, in some way, because I definitely avoid fear, you know, in my own life. I'm like, mm, bungee jumping? No, thank you. Okay, I'm, sure, I'm yeah. all set. <laughs> but it's in a way, I think it's controlled fear, right? So you can you can go on, a, you can have thrills um, with safety belts on. Yeah. And there's something exquisite about that, I think. You know, because it's kind of like, I don't know, at least for me, it's like you do your day to day. It's kind of, you know, I, I love a schedule. I love routine. But occasionally it's like, oh, like whitewater rafting. I love whitewater rafting. Do I, I don't go that often. But when I've done it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is the most thrilling, terrifying thing I've ever done because I'm terrified of drowning. So definitely put me on, launch me down a river on a rapid so i don't know i'm like maybe it's because we need to feel something <laughs> in our modern world yeah. um but yeah i think people have always sort of been you know used stories in that way sometimes to teach sometimes to scare sometimes mm-hmm. just to give a thrill and um mm-hmm. i just find it fascinating you know and in real life people will rarely cr- cry i mean we'll cry sometimes if we lose a loved one or whatever mm-hmm. my but people will seek out movies where they'll cry, mm-hmm. even though they're artificial. Yeah. I mean, we know that they're 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 made up stories, mm-hmm. or made up characters, and stuff like that. So we'll experience, you know, these deep emotions through made up stories, and we'll mm-hmm. actually seek out ones that provide what we avoid in real life. And yeah, I think it's just it's just fascinating. I mean, I, like it you said, is. there's probably people who've studied it and have all sorts of answers. I don't have all the answers, but I, I, I just, I like it though. I think it's interesting. It is fascinating because you think of it as a very, it's a very primal thing that mm. we do sitting around storytelling, right? Yeah. You know, you go back to cave paintings and such. <laughs> and just now it was like, I wonder if there's any other species that goes through that exercise of sitting and telling stories mm. like in their, in the animal world, in their animal ways. <laughs> You know, like it's a very human thing. Yeah. Perhaps there is. Now now I'm gonna Google it as soon as we're we're done. But um yeah, it's just this primal need I think we have to always be telling stories. Cause if you think about it, like what are we gonna do otherwise? You know, if you don't have stories, it's kind of like, you know, we meet around the office cooler, mm. we we get home. We tell each other about our days. We're always oh. telling stories. We're not just working, we're always expressing ourselves to other people and exaggerating and no doubt (laughs) about what happened throughout the day and then clicking on the tv or opening a book and so story is it's really just a part of us like you can't even extract that from our lives because then we're not even human without that Hmm. i think it's pretty interesting i actually read this one book where the the guy proposed i can't remember which book it was I know I had him on the podcast, but he sort of proposed that we call humans like homo narratus. Like Mm, we're just saying it's almost like humans from what we know. I mean, obviously we don't know everything, but Mm. whatever, you know, other animals exactly communicate in certain ways, but, but that we are like, so we're so drenched in stories. It's like a fish in water. You don't really notice the water, Mm. I suppose, but like, we don't really notice that everything we do and everything we think and process and so on is done is done through 
through stories. So many years ago, I was studying for my master's degree thesis in storytelling. And so I was oh, doing, wow. doing all this, yeah, all this reading on artificial intelligence at the time. Now, of course, artificial intelligence is a big thing in the news now, but right. but this was, man, almost probably almost 30 years ago. But But at least at the time, people who were studying AI were studying the way we remember things and process things. And so much of it is done through stories. So they were like, well, if you want AI to think like a human, stop teaching them to think like in ones and zeros or whatever, and start trying to think them in uh, think in stories. So like mm-hmm. the leading AI researchers in the world at the time were really saying, we need to teach machines to think narratively if we're ever going to teach them to think humanly. So interesting. Yeah. I love that. Now I'm going to look at that book too. I have so <laughs> many to do to do's out of this conversation already. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about how you approach your stories and the characterizations and so on that you do and mm-hmm. your stories. And um, so I know that you deal in, in the hunt. There's a character who deals with deep trauma. Mm-hmm. I guess I was wondering, how do you approach telling a story of a character who's dealing with that uh, sort of processing all of that without maybe maybe dragging readers down or making them sad or depressed or whatever, but allowing them to sort of see into this character's life, empathize with them in a way, but also kind of walk that line of entertaining without draining you know them emotionally. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I don't worry too much about dragging them down. <laughs> like, <laughs> there you go. Because, I mean, that's part of it because uh, it's also that I I am drawn to those types of stories as well. Mm. I, I, I don't shy away from depression or dark subject matter because it is essential to human life. Yeah. Um, and it's a part of it. And, I, you know, they're, they're, there are places for all of us. There are places for the happy people. There are places for the sad people making the sad art. And I, I like to think of myself as in the sad art. Um, but it is a balance you have to strike. Whether or not I strike it effectively is up to, you know, an individual reader. Yeah. But in many ways, what I'm trying to do, too, is just present a narrative and a story world of people that you know, I grew up with, you know, it was very working class, very blue collar, very um, economically desperate, Mm. um, but also romantically desperate. And Mm. those are the two things that really, like I always say, I I write about crime and desire, because I just love Uh both of them, you know, talking about story, I always tell the story, but my, my grandma Ford, my grandma Sue, my mom and my dad's mothers were rivals. Hmm. at a Maybelline factory in, in North Little Rock. And so um, <laughs> one of them always read crime novels and the other and um, like obsessed with cr- true crime and um, old Hollywood drama, right? Oh, uh-huh. um, golden age drama. And then my grandma Ford was, she loved romance. And so I hmm. consumed all of this. And so for me, it's like I, I try to blend the two, but also... You know, a, a lot of it is, I think sometimes 
the romance aspect, it, it turns into kind of a coming of age aspect that kind of lifts it out of a, a depressive mode a little bit. But also, too, I find that, you know, especially with Southern storytellers, there's a certain level of dark humor hmm. that we can apply to tragic instances in our our lives or in our characters lives it's it's just a, a perspective of seeing things where it's just very much like yeah that happened but <laughs> <laughs> no that was super fascinating what you said you know about crime and desire you know i've always told people like that what lies at the heart of a great story is tension and what lies at the heart of tension is unmet desire so like literally stories are all about characters um you know, desires, like what is it and what's getting in the way or, mm-hmm. you know, of them pursuing whatever it is that they're pursuing. And so I love that that to you is sort of an essential aspect of your story is really diving into desire. And mm-hmm. um, so I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And that is that stories, people always kind of look at stories like as beginning, middle and first act, second act, third act, and, and so mm-hmm. on like that. Um, but I, I don't necessarily personally love that sort of paradigm because, Same. yeah, because it makes it seem like stories are a progression of events instead of a collision of desires. And so mm-hmm. that's the way I've started to really look at stories is that they're about a collision of desires, whether that takes one act or two or three or whatever it might be. But um, but I think sometimes mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I need to figure out what happens in the story. And my thing is like, well, why don't you figure out what's pursued in the story and once we know that you know pursued well then we know what happens but if we just try to stick Mm -hmm. stuff happening it doesn't always necessarily fit so yeah and it reminds me a lot of what you were saying about like telling stories narratively versus you know if you want to teach AI, ai oh yeah um right and so it feels like the difference between like those types of structures, while they can be very helpful and I think they can be used as scaffolding. Um, I, I think it's good to, to get after that pursuit mm-hmm. of a desire yeah. um, because that's far more interesting to me because I, you know, I, I'm not into heavy plot point yeah. or plotted books. Like I can enjoy them at points, but I, I tend to love to go into any story um whatever medium not even really knowing much about it yeah um it, it's just more fun that way because i have absolutely no what i no idea what i'm getting into but i feel like there's that nugget of what you mentioned of just what are they pursuing and it, i feel like that's what you can get very quickly within a book hmm. or a movie um and you can decide oh yeah i'm into this and if you can hook me with that yeah that, that object of desire it doesn't matter what you know what your structure is or what your plot points are it's kind of like i just want to follow this person i want to see if they get it it's kind of like when you think about you know just i lived in boston for a very long time and took the bus all the time in the subway and there's something about just like you're on the bus and you see someone running for the bus it's (laughs) like that moment where you're like are they gonna make it like it's so small stakes yeah it could be really high stakes for the person, right? Maybe yeah. it's a job interview, maybe, but it's that very, like, immediately I can become hooked as a spectator, like, oh my God, are they going to make it? You know? Um, uh-huh. So I feel right? like in many Design. ways, yeah. yeah, it's, and if you can do that, I feel like you can pull off a lot in a story. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And I'll just mention real quick, this is one of the joys of doing, you know, interviews is that sometimes like we had little visitors, I can hear some birds literally outside. <laughs> yeah. So uh, no worries. I like it. It's it's cool. It's just like, okay, fantastic. We're doing an interview and, you know. I've got birds. So I've got bees. Those birds visiting <laughs> our, you know, our interview. And so, but, um, but, okay, so that's very interesting about character and trauma and so on. And you also write stories that really kind of revolve around a certain, you know, region of the country. And Mm -hmm. so what, what is it that sort of drew you to write stories about, about the Ozarks and and people within that culture? Um, Is it just because you know that, or, or is there something that you're like really in love with that area what what is it that sort of draws you to do to do that? Yeah, for me, it's it's just it's where I came of age. Mm. I um and I think so many of us, uh, a lot of writers I know. So I I'm actually in Cape Cod now. So you hear Cape Cod birds, <laughs> so <laughs> they're, they're ocean birds. Um, so uh, yeah, so I I moved away from Arkansas right after college. So so many of my you know, my formative years were spent in Arkansas is very much deeply embedded in me. And so even though I lived in the greater Boston area now longer than I've lived in Arkansas, Hmm. um, it's still so much a part of me and that I can't get rid of it. And I've talked to so many writers and there's so many expats up here in Boston. Like you rarely find someone who actually grew up here there's so many of us and there's a huge writer community and there are so many Southern writers and we just, you know, we're, you bond together, you just find each other. And we, we talk about this a lot and it's just, it's a, I don't know. It's, but even friends I have who like grew up in Brooklyn, it's that strong sense of place. Yeah. Right. Um, so whether you grew up in a small town or a close knit neighborhood, you grew up with a sense of place, these these characters in your lives that were real people and in many ways it's so hard to get rid of that and I I love people who can be so inspired by going to different places like I really love the books Lucy Foley and um, like she's you know maybe it's the Scottish Highlands like I feel like you can go on travel thrillers with her right which I love but for me personally I I can't write about those places Mm. as well because for me character is so entrenched in all my stories like I always start start with character Mm. and um I don't know I feel like like even though I lived in Boston for so long even if if I write a story about Boston or character in Boston they're not from Boston Mm. like you've got Dennis Lehane who's doing a great (laughs) job with Boston right what can I tell you about Boston not much (laughs) I can tell you where to go to eat but I can't you know it's 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 just a different a different feel and you know I'm impressed by writers who can just go anywhere and write those stories but for me there's just that sense of home that sense of place and setting where it's it's um especially as a queer person you know it's just like a place where you're not necessarily wanted mm. in many regards um and you're certainly not read um because there are so many you know your life 
has been politicized whereas you're just like i would really just like a grilled cheese sandwich that is and just watch my shows like that is my agenda <laughs> so um so yeah I, I think in many ways it's it's because it's such a a challenging region you know there's there's some love hate there and so mm. for me it's it i'm drawn to it um, but I love it more than I find issue with it, you know, yeah. because I grew up there and, and, and I love the peace of Arkansas as well as um, the memories I have. Yeah, I kind of, I really like setting for a story. Yeah, absolutely. So like one of the things that you brought up that I think is really interesting is this idea of wherever you have a sense of place, but it has to be authentic. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're an author who can do that, travel to a new location, literally write a mm -hmm. story there, but it feels authentic and believable and honors mm -hmm. that place and the people and the culture and so on. I mean, that's amazing. Um, and one of those things that draws you to these stories is you just feel an authentic connection to that mm -hmm. area. Like you mentioned, Boston, you've lived there and maybe you could do an amazing story there, but but there's this sort of draw, this sense of of authentic connection that that is interesting mm -hmm. and i i like that yeah and i think that i couldn't because setting is so important to me and uh -huh. char character with setting is so important to me i'm thinking about a character and when i do when i write characters i start very much from their internal and where are they from and so it's like as soon as I get to the where are you from, it's like, well, I can't talk to you about Dorchester outside of Boston, <laughs> right? I didn't grow up there. How could I write about that? Um, so yeah, and I was, you know, I have friends who, um, yeah, they're they're first generation and they write about you know their country of origin and <laughs> you know or their neighborhood of origin if you think about it if they're first yeah. generation so yeah so i don't know I, I think it's embedded in some of us but I, I do admire people who can do that very well yeah no kidding yeah absolutely. but maybe they're maybe they're slightly more plot focused but <laughs> 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 <Sit> on them <laughs> so in your new book the hunt which is available now wherever you might uh, buy books wherever people might be listening say i want to check this out and i can get it any, anywhere books are sold but um there's a kind of a unique sort of structure or movement through the book where there's a character doing um research and then um so there are times where it kind of moves a little bit away from or within the plot let's say to sort of some of the uh observations or research this character Mm -hmm. It's made like this. So I wondered if you set out with that idea as an approach that you thought would work or if it just became more organic as you were working on the story. I set out with this because it is a book that has a potential serial killer. There's mm. naturally a larger cast of characters. And um, also, you know, just with the true crime phenomenon, there's always the focus on the actual person who's doing the killing. And so, of course, in, in more recent years, there's been more focus on the victim stories. And so part of me, I just wanted to be able to tell victim stories as well, so that they weren't just um, faceless people. And these were actual people in the community. And I think, too, just in a way to show the conflict of the way we consume stories hmm. of true crime 
um, once you know who people are. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily set out to do it did grow a bit more organically with the like I as you had mentioned, I, I there's someone doing research and I do those through Google Docs and I think too I'm a day job or I'm an I work in information technology and so I'm always in Google Docs and so it's <laughs> such a part of my life um, that I thought it was just an a a natural way that someone would be doing research um but i remember reading like serena by ron ron rash years ago and how he kind of had that greek chorus and in other books too but i remember specifically with with his book the greek chorus of the the timber um folks who were kind of outside the story watching the main characters of serena and her husband and i thought that was such a an interesting perspective because in so many of my books it's a very um, close pov mm. or point of view and in in this kind of pressure cooker atmosphere in a way and for this book i wanted it to expand a little bit huh. so being able to kind of take that camera angle and and do a wide angle lens on the town um, helped me to expand it and let it breathe a little bit more so it didn't feel so claustrophobic. Now I could have done it that way, but um, I, because of my previous two books, I kind of wanted personally um, to not do such a close POV for the whole book because I've done that before and it can feel very intense. And so it just felt <laughs> fun for me you know talking about true crime but i'm like but it was also more fun for me to mm. be able to explore and try a different structure and um give a voice to other people in the town looking at this strange situation and going what's going on here yeah. <laughs> i like that you want to respect the victims um within your book like bring humanity to them um, I actually personally really like books that do that instead of just having like a huge body count where we're, someone gets killed, mm -hmm. another person gets killed. And it's just like these nameless people just get killed or whatever. Eventually, every time someone gets killed, it just means less and less and less. It's mm -hmm. like murder central. You don't grieve. You don't really feel anything. You're just kind of like, oh, well, there's another victim or whatever. But I feel like that sort of, um, I guess, reduces the amount of dignity and honor and respect that it um that a person mm -hmm. has or should have that i feel like we should um treat people with dignity and respect and th things like that and so like if someone dies and we care about them or people grieve or whatever it is there's an impact i feel like that elevates it in other words like mm -hmm. in fiction it seems like the more value we place to something is the more pain it causes when it's lost. So like if there's a family heirloom and it's lost and it really causes a lot of grief or whatever to the family, then we realize that's very valuable to them. It's the same mm -hmm. with human life. Like if it means nothing in the story, if life means nothing, then our lives, it's almost like a statement like, guess what? You're, <laughs> you know, your so, life means nothing. <laughs> your life kind of means nothing either. So, but, right. um, but yeah, yeah. I, I like that you do and, try to respect. And there are different, 
There are definitely, you know, serial killer novels where that's kind of the conceit. Like, who is it? Who is it? And I, I actively went against that in my book. And I know it's probably frustrating. I don't, I haven't read my reviews, but I'm sure it's frustrating to some readers where it's just, you know, there's a lot of the coming of age, the the romance part of the story is an equal element to the crime piece. And so, um, but I do that intentionally because I don't want it to just be this wild chase for a maniac because that's not how it happens either. If you, if you do consume true crime, which I do, you know, um, but you, when you, you see the, how long it has taken people to, to connect the dots like I'm thinking about, you know, like Elon Green's, I think it's Elon Green, Last Call. Um, and then, you you know, you've got the uh, the Golden State Killer. And mm. you see how the pieces don't really go together and things do take a very long time. Yeah. And I know that narratively that's not exciting to write a book for, you know, or <laughs> just tell the story for 17 years. But, um, you know, life does happen within this too. And there are people who didn't even realize that you know their their loved ones were a part of something this sinister right and so that was was part of what drew me to it as well is just thinking about the people left behind the families because the the main character the protagonist um now holcomb her brother is the alleged first victim Hmm. and so it's when when you just kind of sit around and you're doing your story thinking and just like, gosh, how awful must that feel mm. for a person to not only have lost someone very close to them, she lost her brother, but then to have an entire town just hooked on the idea that they're a victim mm. of someone terrible. So that's the kind of story, story, uh, gazing i do <laughs> navel gazing i do so it's all about the psychology it's because i wanted to be a psychology major but i couldn't pass that so <laughs> i have to be armchair <laughs> i think we like stories where we read about characters who are intriguing who have enough of a bridge to us where it's like i can maybe empathize or sympathize with their situation in some way um but that do explore psychological issues maybe make us think about things in a new way um i really i think that uh, those stories do draw readers you know do draw readers in i um, hope so i hope so i think i think there's space for that um i hope that people also want to read more expansively you know beyond the you know it's not paint by numbers but in many ways it's kind of what you were saying it's just like act one act two act three Mm. and i think that there's some not critical thinking but there's some i don't know i'm like critical thinking is fun (laughs) (laughs) like it's fun to you know to have both so so i'm hoping you know readers want both they want those narratives that aren't so tidy that might be a little bit um, more emotionally messy. Hmm. So when, yeah. So when readers, let's say, finish one of your books, it, it, what's one thing you hope they either take away from it or have experienced while they were engaged with your story? 
Like some people, it's just like yeah. just want them to be entertained, and that's totally legit. Mm-hmm. Some people are like I want them to ask yeah. big questions about life or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting too. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I mean, obviously, we all want to entertain. I think I always hesitate because my my form of my version of entertainment is always toward the darker side. <laughs> so I'm like, is that entertaining or is it sad? Um, but for me, I mean, I I write about the working class um, mm. for everything, and so part of me is just like, you know, and and I always write about Arkansas. And for me, I, I mean. Of course, I hope that people are entertained, but I also hope they come away with a different understanding of the Southern working class and especially Southern queer working class, because um, the queer perspective is very much front and center in my books. Um, There's no straight washing. It's purely this is, you know, my community exists. And um, also my community is more than just, you know, white cisgendered heterosexual people there are tons of you know folks in the south that are fighting for you know rights and um being able to see themselves in books and media and so i i hope that's the takeaway too now if i've been i've started asking these questions just at the end of interviews because i find them super (laughs) interesting but but one question I've been asking people is like, if there's a one book, like one uh, novel that you can think of where you're like, mm-hmm. everyone should read this before they die. Mm-hmm. Um, does anything pop into your mind? Like besides your own, obviously your own novels. And stuff. <laughs> but um, are there any novels that either really impacted you or you're like, this is just a really important story that people should read before, you know, before they die. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do, it's kind of like one word rip, whatever comes into your mind first. Um, And the the thing that, I mean, there's nonfiction, but you said novel. So I modified, but um, the first book that came to mind was Pachinko. Hmm. Um, Ninjin Lee, I think I might have her name wrong, but um, it's just this epic story set in Korea um, through generations. It's it's a story of generations. And, um, it encompasses war, uh, class. It's just, I mean, when you talk about desire, it's just like the desire, the hunger for more mm. in your life, romantically, uh, financially, successfully, you know, and it's just, it's just such an incredible story. And it's the kind of book that it's, it's so epic, but I love epics. Okay, cool. Just, yeah. You tell me your entire family history. I'm in for it and um, how everything's connected. And yeah. because I also love ancestor stories, right? Mm. You know, where we come from. And I think perhaps that goes back to why I'm always, you know, setting everything in Arkansas for me. You know, I love those ancestor stories. I, I love to know where people are from, who in their family history stands out. It's, it's just yeah. fascinating material. So, yeah. But other than that, I would say Middle Ages, <laughs> Powers and Thrones. <laughs> oh yeah, really yeah, there you non-fiction. go. Yeah, I was just thinking when you're talking about that, like, I, you know, as I grew up, I would listen to stories from my grandmother, my grandfather, uncle. So, so I would listen to stories, but I never really sort of valued them. Maybe until I got older, and then I was like, mm-hmm. oh no, there is 
something unique to or um, you know powerful about mm-hmm. my ancestors or where we came from and the types of stories that we told and things like that. And mm-hmm. I think um, recapturing that or um, uncovering that or something, unearthing that is important for us. And um, it it you know obviously we are more than our past and more than what we were born mm-hmm. and so on like that. But but um but I think it can be an important un, important to understand our roots. And uh so yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah, and I think for storytelling it also gives you context for your characters. Yeah. Yeah. And why why they pursue the things they do, right? It's it's not a pursuit in a vacuum. It's a pursuit mm. based on kind of in a way what you've inherited um from your history of what's important what matters to you and why and that's so fascinating to me and which is why i love pachinko um because it's about you know in many ways the inheritance of Hmm. of value Hmm. yeah interesting i like that the inheritance of value stories can do that and i think that's Mm -hmm. Maybe one of the greatest things that stories can do is, mm-hmm. you know, share that. So, well, Kelly, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I appreciate the time you took to sneak away from your work and your writing and um, and to allow us to listen to some of those wonderful birds and chat um, <laughs> about story and storytelling and uh, in your new book. So is there a place online where you'd like to direct people to you know, maybe check out if you're doing a book signing or if you have uh, social media where you'd love to connect with readers. Is there anywhere you'd like to to point our listeners? Oh, sure. I mean, right now I'm only on, I'm, I'm still on Twitter. I'll probably be there until it absolutely goes dark um, because I'm a creature of habit. So you can find me. I think I'm at Kelly J. Ford. And then um, I'm also at Instagram, Kelly J. Ford author. So those are the main places. Um, I'm not that active. I'm, I'm mainly on Instagram. You'll see a lot of pictures of my dog and my cat. So <laughs> <laughs> I should probably do more book promotion, but you know. I don't know. It's so funny. Like those are the ones that'll get like 300 <laughs> likes. You'll be like, oh, this is my dog or my cat or whatever. It's like people like, 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 you know, like, here's my new book. Like two people like, okay, well, I like it. Exactly. Just I'm like, what? It's going on. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so thanks so much, Kelly. And, uh, again, thank you. Kelly's newest book is the hunt. She has a couple of other books out, so you can always search for her name and, um, and find those, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when I was, uh, giving her bio cotton mouths and real bad things or some of her other, of her other novels. And, um, I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in and listening for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews. You can always search for us wherever you listen to your podcast, Always click to the storyblender.com for more information about our guests and um, and uh, their background and some more details about them. You can always, uh, don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Fridays. Just a quick mention, we are doing a seminar here in Tennessee, uh, an intensive fiction weekend where I'll be teaching writing for about 12 or 13 hours over the course of one weekend. So but it's uh, September 8th through 10. If you are a writer or if you're interested in learning about writing, check out fictionintensive.com. And uh, if you do sign up, don't forget to use the code word blender in the registration to save 10%.
as you pursue your stories and tell your stories, do so well, my friends. And always remember. The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you.